Welcome to the Voices of Aging podcast, where you learn more about aging through experts. We are the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group, or ASIC, a student-led collaborative organization for the study of aging at the University of Minnesota. Every episode, we feature guests working in different aging-related areas, and they share their experiences and wisdom. We release two episodes every month, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in to learn more about aging every time you hit play. So welcome everybody to our November Lunch and Learn. Um, My name is Michelle and I am the chair for ASIG this year. We also have um, Mara Wilson here, who is our new ASIG events chair. So happy to welcome her as well. Um, In honor of Veterans Day today, we have two wonderful speakers from the Minneapolis VA, um, Dr. Edward Ratner and Dr. Catherine Kotz will be telling us more about the VA healthcare system um, and the older veteran population, as well as opportunities for clinical training and research at the VA. So I'd love to start by introducing Dr. Edward Ratner. Um, Dr. Ratner is a physician specializing in geriatrics and palliative care, who's been a faculty member in the medical school for over 20 years and also involved with the Center for Healthy Aging and Innovation. He's also the Associate Director for Education and Evaluation at the Minneapolis VA Geriatric Center. His clinical and research interests include home care, end-of-life care, and medical education. He's currently working on a collaborative project um, with colleagues from the Minnesota North Star GWEP, as well as the Mayo Clinic, to recruit caregivers of veterans who have brain injury and dementia for coaching. Um, He served as president of the State Geriatrics Association and of the American Academy of Home Care Physicians and has been recognized as the Gerontologist of the Year um, by the Gerontology Association. So thank you so much, Dr. Ratner, for joining us. And um, I'll hand it over to you. And for our audience, please think of any questions you have during his talk and and put them in the chat. And we'll have a short Q&A session after he speaks. Great. Thanks so much. Um, so um, I, I, I have to say it's really great to see this group get going. I, I tried to get something started, uh, I don't know, probably about 10 years ago. And I think we did the paperwork, but it didn't really get much uh, much going. And so it, it, uh, Rajan and, and uh, Dr. Gagler and, and others have really made this happen. Um, Quick explanation of the GREC, uh, the Geriatric Research Education Clinical Center, where I work. It's one of 20 centers across the country, and it's really the beginning of geriatrics uh, in uh, in the country in some ways. Uh, back in the 70s, it was uh, recognized that the World War II veterans were getting older and um, that there was a need for some efforts to plan ahead uh, for that growing population. And um, that has turned over and now we have the uh, large growth in the Vietnam veteran era. Uh, But uh, a lot of the uh, building blocks of geriatrics in our country came out of the Greks. So uh, excuse the typo on the first slide. These slides are um, uh, uh, lent to me uh, by a colleague who kind of the orientation to the VA for a variety of audiences, but I've added 
uh, some slides about the older uh, population and uh, services in in the uh, in the VA, as well as uh, Dr. Katz and I are going to talk about uh, research and employment opportunities uh, in the VA. So you can think about that as part of your career planning. Um, so we're going we're going to talk about kind of the structure, the patients, and the, kind of the system in the VA. And I have to kind of give some perspective. I and I uh, trained at uh, University of Chicago, and we didn't have a a um, VA as an affiliate. And I did a residency in a hospital that didn't have a VA affiliate, and then worked in a variety of uh, settings um, in the um, in the Twin Cities um, outside the VA, and didn't really know anything about the VA system until I uh, did one rotation as a medical student uh, in San Diego, but didn't really know anything about it uh, until I went to work there uh, about 11 years ago, and have have worked really hard to understand it because if you understand the health system and the rules um, and how to make it work for patients or for yourself, um, it, it's a real value to put you with your career building and your uh, your patients. Um, so the branches of the military, uh, most people are familiar with the Army and the Navy and uh, Air Force, uh, and then there's the Marines. Uh, which is separate for us, but they share a variety of resources with the Navy because traditionally they were the people who went with the Navy and and then went on shore while the Navy stayed on the ships. Uh, so they share things like the the uh, uh, the medical corps and the um, uh, chaplaincy and a variety of things like that. And a story about that, just quick, in terms of my father uh, in, uh, joined the Navy toward the end of World War II when he graduated high school because he didn't want to be uh, drafted and end up in the army. And um, they asked him, so what do you want to do? And he and his buddy said, oh, I think we'll be medics because that sounds safe. We'll be on a ship or in a, in a hospital and that'll be safe and that'll be good. And so then we went to training and they explained, okay, so if you give a blood transfusion, you can just throw the, uh, uh, the, the blood bottle in the, in the weeds. They don't reuse them. He goes, and somebody raised their hand and said, "Wait, no, we're in the Navy. We're not going to be in the weeds." Oh no, no, you'll mostly get assigned to the to the Marines, and um, that that's uh, a pretty guaranteed way to get killed. Because, uh, like in the Korean War, they were well known for shooting the the medics first because uh, they could identify them from the from uh, their helmets and. And then they not only killed the medic, but then everybody they might have helped. So, anyways, he ended up just doing discharge physicals uh, in the U.S. But um, so that's the Marines, and then we have the Space Force, um, which is the newest branch and uh, has um, has the responsibility for a variety of things in space. Um, National Guard and Reserve. I just want to mention because um, uh, it's uh, something students should consider. Um, because they have really extraordinary um, educational benefits to pay back loans or to uh, support your education. And the the um, the amount of time is fairly modest. And I've come to know quite a bit about this recently because my son-in-law uh, joined the, uh, the Army National Guard uh, just recently as a chaplain. And uh, he, he uh, had wanted to be full-time service, but then he married my daughter and she didn't like that idea. So he, this is what he's doing now. But uh, if if uh, you have any willingness to do uh, 
a weekend a month and two weeks in the summer. Uh, and, and there are a variety of professional jobs and it's not all, um, just, uh, you know, doing the traditional military think of, of fighting. Um, uh, there's a lot of, uh, other kind of professions in healthcare, for example, that, uh, can, um, be in the military and just, you know, for medical students, I, I talked to the recruiter when I, when I met, uh, him and a, um, he was explaining that it's like a quarter million dollars of tuition reimbursement for uh, medical students who enroll in National Guard. But I, my understanding, they they pitched the medical school pretty good uh, already. So, um, and I just want to mention um, there's all these um, uh, ranks in the military. And when I grew up, we watched uh, TV shows like Gomer Pyle. And there was something called F Troop that even preceded that. Uh, and of course, MASH. And so, you know, I grew up and everybody knew about officers and enlisted men and what it was all about and, and some of the roles. But I, as I've taught medical students at the VA, I talk a little about this. And it turns out it isn't part of general culture anymore. So there are enlisted people who are generally out of high school. Officers generally have college degrees. And there's people with technical skills that are, are warrant officers. And there's kind of the senior enlisted people are non-commissioned officers, and that's a term you may have heard. And there are um, ranks uh, for the enlisted people, and they're different in different branches. And so it kind of it, it's worth knowing this because if you talk to a veteran and they say something about what service they were in or what um, rank they had, they have some idea what they were talking about. And the idea of um, a corporal versus a uh, seaman those are are maybe similar, but are are different different branches. And then uh, officers, uh, similarly, uh, there are there are ranks, and they're different in different branches. And uh, when they started the uh, space force, they had to say which one should we choose, and um, they they had uh, I think they went with what the Navy was rather than the Air uh, Air Force. But the idea is that um, you, knowing something that. For example, a captain in the Navy is a very senior officer, but a captain in the Army is a much more junior uh, person, you can see, after lieutenant to become a captain. So it, it's worth kind of knowing that. Um, so any questions about just kind of the military in general? Okay, so that, that's just some background, so you know, kind of what the military is. Um, then we have the VA, and the VA has three parts to it. Um, and some of these you you read about in the news, some you may not even know about. So there's the cemetery administration and Fort Snelling is a federal cemetery and there are uh, federal cemeteries in every state uh, and veterans can be buried in, and their spouses can be buried uh, at, the, at the VA cemeteries. They, uh, unlike uh, uh, traditional cemeteries, they bury veterans uh, one above the other uh, for spouses. And uh, so whoever dies first gets buried underneath. And that's a common uh, joke about when uh, that comes up in couples and say, I always wanted to be on top kind of thing that uh, comes up. Uh, so they uh, uh, so that's that's a benefit um, that saves the costs of uh, some funeral expenses. Um, the, the Veterans Benefit Administration is the one you hear about when they say there's a backlog of uh, claims that are awaiting and all the things you read in the news or see on TV where, uh, you know, sign up for this uh, benefit or 
or if you were at Camp Lejeune, or if you have a certain disease, you may be eligible for things. And so they pay for the disability compensation if you got injured or had an illness that was related to your service, but they have a variety of other benefits. And the GI Bill is an example uh, for people who serve. They can have uh, educational benefits. If you get uh, sick or injured, there's vocational rehab to get you back to work. Home loans are a significant benefit. And after World War II, that was kind of how uh, the housing boom and the suburbs really developed is because of the VA uh, loan system that has very low or, or no down payment. Um, there's pensions that basically is a, a guaranteed income uh, for people whose uh, social security payments kind of are um, are below the maximum or actually fairly low. Um, and so they, they don't have enough to live on. The idea is not to have homeless or impoverished veterans. Um, and so there's a variety of benefits for those. Um, and um, so then kind of the, the meat of what I want to talk about is the uh, health administration, um, which is the hospitals, and there's 170 hospitals, which makes it uh, one of the biggest or the biggest healthcare system in the country. Um, and uh, th uh, they are the key place where doctors train. And so uh, most medical schools have uh, an affiliate, as does University of Minnesota, that uh, people go through the the uh, VA hospitals. And part of that is because the Medicare system pays for uh, for residency training uh, and each hospital gets a certain number of slots, but uh, VA uh, has an additional uh, allotment of, of positions that belong to the VA, but are allocated uh, to the residents at the hospitals. So we don't have our own residencies. We depend on medical schools for the residencies, but we can accept a certain number of residents per year. Um, and then when the residents come, then those schools tend to send medical students all sorts. Um, I, you know, I don't know kind of how long ago uh, the, the VA reputation was really bad, but it's improved greatly. And um, there was a, a journalist who was assigned but one of the major, I can't remember if it was Wall Street Journal or, or one of the major uh, uh, papers to uh, write a story about how terrible the VA was. And as he started doing research on it, he found that, gee, this is, this is a really good system. And he, he uh, turned that into a book and it's called Best Care Anywhere. And basically the VA is an integrated system with the insurance built in and so the uh, incentives are much better aligned than Fairview and Alina um, and, and other health systems. And it's in some ways similar to Kaiser uh, where they have a population and a health system and um, they have to deliver what the patients need. And if they can't deliver it, they'd have to pay somebody else to do it. And we have very few of those kinds of models. And <clears throat> And unlike Kaiser, the VA doesn't have any choice of who the patients are. So there's no gaming of what the premiums are going to be or how they're going to uh, manage co-pays or anything like that in order to attract healthy people rather than sick people to be able to keep the premiums low and, and build their capacity. Um, uh, they, uh, uh, VA health system has nursing homes and the, actually Congress mandates that the VA system have a certain number of beds across the country. And even if we didn't want to have so many beds um, and there, there was actually 
you know, some push to say, do we really need this many beds? Uh, uh, they weren't allowed to decrease them. Now there aren't enough beds. And uh, this is one of the major crises uh, in our country in the VA system particularly, is that the growth in the uh, people who are gonna need uh, and be eligible for payment by the VA for nursing homes is gonna far exceed our capacity. And it's really unclear how we're gonna handle that in the future. And then the VA um, has contracts with um, home care and hospice and uh, will pay for other nursing home care beyond what they provide themselves, DME, uh, durable medical equipment. So they, they buy what they don't um, make or deliver themselves. Uh, the, the connection to the aging uh, you know, group that you all belong to is that the VA is basically a geriatric healthcare system. Um, with over half of the people uh, enrolled uh, being over 65. And this, this is gonna grow really significantly as the Vietnam uh, era veterans, which is uh, the largest group right now uh, grows. And so um, uh, about half of older men are veterans. And so if you take, let's say uh, a, any population uh, that you're serving, you could say that if it's a mixed uh, population, about a quarter, of the patients uh, you might see in a healthcare system anywhere are veterans, um, because half are men and then half are veterans. And uh, only half of the veterans uh, are getting care at the VA. And so some people don't enroll by choice, by they don't get around to it, and some people aren't eligible, but that's actually a fairly small minority that um, were uh, dis discharged dishonorably or didn't serve long enough or things like that. Um, and uh, the other kind of uh, issue is that um, if you're interested in dementia, which is um, you know one of the more common illnesses that's specific uh, to older people, um, about 10% of veterans have dementia. And, and uh, something came out recently in the news reporting, I think from the Alzheimer's Association, that that number is actually um, a fairly consistent in non-veteran population also. It's about 10%. Um, and you know, the definition of that uh, can vary in how intensively you're looking for it. Um, but uh, the the issue in the veterans is not only is the population older than kind of the average uh, population, um, uh, brain injuries seem to have something to do with developing dementia and uh, PTSD and depression are precursors of dementia. Those are all more common among veterans. Um, so there's this definition and kind of who you have to have been served in the active military. So for example, just being in the reserve for the weekends for uh, for your minimum years, I think it's uh, four to six years, uh, doesn't get you a VA uh, in kind of health, health benefits. Uh, but if you got uh, deployed for a certain number of days, uh, then you can actually meet that threshold. Um, and, uh, there, there's eligibility and then there's kind of fully access. access and, and so if you show up in the ER and you were a veteran, they'll serve you. Um, but if you wanna get a primary care and get all your care there, you have to uh, meet a, a priority category. And um, those are based on uh, health and income. And um, if you, you know, were uh, awarded certain medals or, uh, or a, a prisoner of war, a variety of things that push you up. Um, but in relation to aging, uh, the disability and functional impairment is defined as having 
kind of basic uh, needs uh, that you require assistance with, and that pushes you into a category that makes you eligible, um, even if you have good income, because that's the other criteria. If you um, have, you know, if you're if you're a 50 year old who's working and is healthy and you served, but you didn't have any illnesses related to that, um, you you just uh, can get kind of emergency kind of care. Um, but if uh, you're older and you're not getting around easily, need some help with daily activities, you're up in a category that you, um, you're you automatically accepted, even if you have good income. And an example of that is toward the end of life, if you are enrolled in hospice, you're automatically considered catastrophically disabled. And that's a term that's used um, to define not as catastrophically as the word is used uh, in general terms, but um, based on just those functional impairments and that uh, gets you eligible. So if you know anyone, and I missed this opportunity for my father, for example, because I didn't know about it because I didn't work for the VA then, is if you enroll in hospice, you're automatically uh, immediately eligible for this uh, these services, which include a variety of things that can supplement what uh, hospice provides um, in terms of home care on top of hospice or durable medical equipment. Um, so if people want to enroll, you can do it online. You can call. The easiest way, if you're in a uh, community you know, like Minneapolis, is to show up at the front desk with your discharge paperwork, and they take care of it uh, on the spot. And they can sometimes even just send you down the hall to have your initial kind of physical and get started. Um, and uh, so uh, there's a variety of ways. Uh, but you do need this form DD-214. Veterans hang on to that. And when my father died, he kind of went through his papers. And sure enough, he's, he still had his his paperwork and his uh, his dog tag kind of things. Uh, question, so a question about kind of the, the VA um, health system. Anybody have a parent or a friend or something who uses the VA? Grandparent? So check, I, you know, the odds are that your grandfather, uh, you know, is a veteran and that uh, he may or may not have ever signed up. And it it's uh, one of those things that it's probably worth going down and, and doing the paperwork. And even if you're in a bad category um, and so you're not eligible for much of anything now, something goes wrong, you're already signed up and it's easy then to take advantage of it. And uh, I would say having worked um, in uh, the Alina system and the Fairview system, the North Memorial system in the Twin Cities, um, and having had relatives in the uh, health partner system, that um, by far for older people, the VA is the best healthcare system. It's really designed for older people. And, and going back to the incentives and the alignment is the, the VA, um, has more rehab and more specialized rehab and more specialized uh, geriatric mental health uh, than anywhere else in the community. The, almost all the geropsychiatrists in the, in the Twin Cities um, work at the VA, not just train there, but we have the fellowship um, there, but we have a whole team of geropsychiatrists and you look for a geropsychiatrist somewhere else and you can't find somebody because basically we can keep everybody that we train in the VA because we have plenty of work. Um, we have specialized units and teams for uh, PTSD and for spinal cord injury, for example. So 
um, it, if if somebody um, is older and has disabilities or develops a new disability, uh, thinking about how to tap into the VA services uh, really makes sense. Okay. Um, okay, so I just wanna to touch on dementia because that's the area that our GREC focuses on uh, in its basic science and clinical care. And um, in terms of how we approach that, um, there, you know, as, as care for the bulk of people with dementia in primary care where they may be recognized, but the the in, intensity and quality of the management or, or treatment of that is, uh, I would say, modest as it is in the general community. Um, we have a specialty dementia clinic in our GREC. Uh, we have geropsychiatrists who see people with um, all kinds of problems, but some people are referred from primary care uh, to mental health and then are cared for by a team there. Um, and then uh, our neurology clinics uh, don't have a special program for dementia, but you know all the neurologists uh, do some dementia care. In terms of other services besides the assessment and diagnosis, um, we have on-site post-acute care, uh, which has a um, behavioral recovery unit, a team. There's 10 beds just dedicated to people with advanced behavioral problems who may have come in the hospital just for that or developed a problem while they're in the hospital. And discharge is really difficult and they'll probably go to a nursing home, but we can't find one until their their behaviors are managed. Um, there's a long-term uh, nursing and home care assistance, um, uh, which is, I'd say, similar to the Medicaid system rather than the Medicare system, where if you need meds set up the rest of your life, somebody can come and, and do that for you. And that isn't available to non-veterans unless you're very poor. Um, and basically can't afford to live in a house. Um, homemaking services are part of the, the VA benefits. Um, we have a home-based primary care a program. Um, it's really the only uh, primary care docs that'll visit people in their individual homes in the Twin Cities, although that's common in other cities as uh, clinical programs uh, under managed care typically. Um, and uh, we might see that grow some. It's available in assisted living now uh, widely. Um, and, and adult foster care is interesting. The VA doesn't pay for it, but it, it has a kind of a oversight and management role and can help veterans find adult foster care. And so that's the idea of if you need a residential setting, but don't want to be in a nursing home, don't need nursing, just need essentially somebody to make your meals and kind of keep you safe and, and have some socialization of uh, some people. Uh, with a larger home or some people who used to be home health aides uh, buy a house and live there. And the idea is that it's uh, a, a, not a commercial home where they hire staff, uh, but it's a, a small group and the, the owner operator lives there. Um, and there's a variety of, um, of uh, things that like caregiver support and the VA benefits include the caregiver like hospice, but not but unlike Medicare which doesn't recognize the caregiver as part of the, the benefit package. And so we have a variety of programs and actually financial support for caregivers that are doing intensive uh, home care. Um, respite services are available um, at home and in nursing homes. Adult gate care is a benefit. Uh, mentioned home-based primary care. Firearm safety is an important uh, thing in dementia care. Um, we use occupational and physical therapists. Um, and includes home safety visits, which are nearly impossible to get under the Medicare system. 
Um, the VA in certain circumstances will pay for home modifications for people with disabilities and things like a ramp to get into your house um, isn't a Medicare benefit, but uh, you send somebody home with a hospital from the hospital in a wheelchair and then they can't get in the door. And so it's like thinking ahead in the VA system uh, will get a ramp uh, set up, uh, driving evaluations, and then there's a variety of research studies. Um, and then kind of uh, a list of other things, even like an autopsy benefit. And so families who are interested in, you know, what's the cause of this and might I catch it? Um, it there's, it's a specified benefit that um, even if you're not in the hospital at the time of death, um, the VA will pay for the costs of sending the body to uh, a, a morgue to have a autopsy performed. Home managed care, I, I think there's somewhere around half of veterans um, who get services in the VA are managed also by uh, doctors outside the VA. And it's that's okay. You can use both insurances at same time, same time Medicare and your VA benefits. Um, but there's an expectation that you're coming to the VA at least annually uh, for an, uh, a general evaluation, primary care, and refill of your medications. Uh, veterans often drop their Medicare supplement if they're primarily using the VA because um, that's an expense that uh, the VA doesn't have a copay uh, as expensive as the Medicare system. Um, if you're talking to veterans, it's appropriate to ask about what branch they were in and what, what they do in the military. And I, as part of introducing myself to new, uh, new patients uh, in the VA system, I always ask, uh, so what branch were you in? And in part, it's just to get to know the person, but it's also a uh, dementia screen. If they don't remember what branch they were in or what they did in the military, um, I'm not gonna get a very good history of, of their illness or, or other facts about them. Um, and obviously kind of what they do after the military, the transition and kind of what their life has been like. Um, most wanna tell you some sort of story about their military service. And the VA has a whole model for doing interviews um, and posting these short, short stories, a few, about 500 word stories about veterans in the medical chart in an area that's easily accessible. It's not like buried in a progress note somewhere, um, but some people don't want to share. Um, but don't, don't ask uh, veterans about, you know, did you ever kill anybody? Um, although I'll tell you a quick story about that. I went to see a guy in an assisted living and to try to manage him. I was doing home visits and he insisted on telling me uh, when he witnessed um, Mussolini uh, being hanged in the square um, in uh, in a small town in Italy at the end uh, in, in World War II. And he told kind of gruesome details about it. And I actually looked it up and he was describing it accurately, but his, uh, his memory for other things and is bad and he was quite agitated often, but he, he had to tell me the stories and it included some, some what sounded like war crimes uh, involved in that whole story. Um, but it, it, his family wasn't too pleased that he kept repeating that. Um, and uh, uh, the other kind of thing in thinking about veterans and dementia is PTSD can be kind of dormant, uh, but can come up at the end of life or as dementia gets worse and kind of recognizing how that might intersect with the other problems. Uh, and then there's the benefits, uh, the cemetery benefits that I mentioned briefly, and there's some dollar amount. And so if you have a family member who's a veteran and they pass away, um, make sure that they check into the, the veterans benefits. 
Any questions about any of that? Thank you, Dr. Ratner, for such a great talk. This is so okay. helpful. Um, a couple, couple, couple more slides. And, and is okay. Dr. Katz on? Yes, Dr. Katz okay. is here. So I want to make okay. sure we have yeah. time. Yeah, she, she looked through this, and I, I think we're on time for this. We'll have time. Okay. Um, just want to mention um, th there are um, a lot of trainee opportunities for clinicians. And this is the list of all the disciplines that are uh, for which you can do either while you're in school, but a lot of these are postgraduate kind of um, additional year of training in the VA. And they're uh, well-paid relative to some kind of immediate postgraduate additional training. And uh, the other key benefit of these trainings, either as a student, uh, if, if, if they're, they're like social work, uh, students, uh, masters of social students get a stipend. But the key benefit of being a VA affiliate trainee is when you graduate and not just at graduation, the rest of your life, you have hiring priority and you don't have to go through the whole process of competing against everybody else. You can be hired directly by a VA if you have this if you're essentially in the system. And there's some research fellowships that Dr. Katz will talk more about, but health services research, um, there's uh, interprofessional training in polytrauma and brain injury uh, for a variety of disciplines and a women's health uh, research fellowship. Um, and then I just, I pulled up um, uh, as of um, like uh, recently, just a bunch of jobs that uh, and that when they were posted, um, uh, for researchers, for those of you who aren't clinicians, you can see that um, there's a variety of, of types of work if you don't want to work at a university. That th This is the, the largest health system that hires a lot of uh, people with skills from public health or other fields. Okay, so I want to turn over to Dr. Katz and thank you very much. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Ratner. And there are just a few quick questions for you in the chat um, that came up during your talk. Okay. You want to spend just a few minutes going over those. The first is, um, what is your favorite or most rewarding part about working with aging veterans as a geriatrician? Um, I, I, I think, um, I, and it is, I think the, uh, as I said, the alignment of incentives. And my favorite part is feeling like we have a team and we're not ever thinking about how we can build a little bit more or how we can maximize the revenue that comes in. And, and that allows us to work um, as a team for the benefits of the patients. And that we also don't have any access to benefits or services or, or things, uh, issues related to reimbursement. Um, interprofessional teams. Um, this is kind of real key, and the GREC is uh, really committed to promoting that. And um, I, they, the idea of, um, as I said, rehab and uh, mental health um, and are two examples, um, but and also nursing home care. It's if you think in terms of how the structure of interprofessional teams are really built into those much more intensively than elsewhere. And things like care planning meetings and uh, written care plans um, are, are kind of standard in those. And that's kind of the model that's been developed in the VA much more than elsewhere. Um, and so I'm having difficulty finding research postdoc fellowships for nurses with their PhD on the websites. 
Uh, and maybe Dr. Kotz can kind of point people to where that might be. But um, if if we don't have the answers today, um, I will uh, uh, kind of look into it some more because I know that there are opportunities for all kinds of professions. Great, thank you, Dr. Ratner again. And um, thank you for the great questions from the audience as well. So I would like to next welcome Dr. Kathy Kotz. Um, Dr. Kotz serves as the Associate Director for Research in the GREC at the Minneapolis VA and is also a professor in the Department of Integrative Biology and Physiology at the University of Minnesota. Her training and background are in basic science obesity research, and her PhD research was done in the area of neuropeptide regulation of feeding and energy expenditure. Dr. Kotz's current research program centers on obesity and metabolic aspects of aging, focusing on targeting central nervous system pathways to promote healthy body weight. Dr. Kotz also studies the impact of obesity and metabolic function on learning and memory outcomes in normal aging and during neurodegeneration and strives to develop therapies to improve cognition. So with that, I will hand it over to you, Dr. Kotz, and thank you so much for being here. Absolutely, thank you for having me. And um, I, I hope I can be helpful. Um, please just ask questions. I don't have a lot of slides, um, but I'll tell you my background in terms of career development and mentoring. Um, with regards to research at the VA hospital. Um, I've mentored quite a few students on what's called a career development award, and I'll kind of cover that at the end. But I just want to make the disclaimer that I'm much more experienced in um, sort of mentoring in terms of and finding mentor matches for basic sciences. But what I've done is I've downloaded from various different VA websites where I thought understanding the background of the audience where some of your interests may lie. So my plan with this is just, I don't have many slides, about five or six, um, just to show you some of the different websites where you can look up training and fellowship opportunities. Um, and if you, I didn't like put the links on, but um, if you want any of those, I'm happy to send them later. Um, and then I would like to, at the end, just talk to you about the Career Development Award Program and how that might benefit some of you, um, and then just take some of your questions. So. The first thing I'll go over, first thing I need to do is be able to advance the slides. There we go. So you can um, just look at early stage investigators um, at the Minneapolis VA hospital. You'll come up with this page. And here's a page that definitely has resources. Um, unfortunately, these are screenshots, so these are not live links. I can't click on them and show you where they go. Uh, but I kind of did that in the subsequent slides uh, for some of this. But you can see there's peer and mentor resources. Um, the research office at the VA hospital has really ramped up their mentoring program. And so they're really, um, I'm part of a research advisory panel at the VA. And one of the big um, focal points for us is really mentoring new stage investigators, finding them, finding them partners to pair up. So I think somebody put in the chat, they were looking for nursing um, research fellowships. And that's where the research office can be very helpful. Um, and this research advisory panel that I sit on, we we meet every other week and we meet up, we meet with people who are interested. You just need to contact the research office and ask for um, some information on that. 
but you can prevent your present your ideas and and we can find you potentially find you a, a match and a mentor or a colleague at the VA that would be interested in doing you know something with you in, in regards to research so but they do a work in progress presentation so you can always present that and you may we have a big audience for that there's usually about 50 or 60 researchers from the VA Minneapolis VA that are on those calls and those are great for if you've got a project already going but you're kind of looking for a new direction or a new collaborator those are great to present at um you know they're shorter talks but just talk about what you're doing um there's the research conference series that's once a month um then there's uh, the cc door lunchtime seminar grant review by senior investigators and then a listserv um an early stage investigator where you can actually i've not used that i've heard about it and i think it's a really good resource so that's just um if you google again i can send these links but early stage investigators it brings you to this website that is very helpful i think um i just wanted to point out a couple of the um internships and fellowships available i know a lot less about these i just know that they are available uh, so you can look on the left here, the clinical and health services, all of these. You can expand on these. If you find something here that is of interest, there's a, the GRAC. You can expand on that. Nursing internships. Um, so I think this is, again, another really great website um, that you can access and just see what's what's going on in all of these areas and if anything fits you know, for you. Um, these are just some of the major research centers at the Minneapolis VA. And as um, Dr. Ratner alluded to, we do a lot of collaborative research. So these teams, um, we really promote team science and team collaborations. And I think that is one thing that the VA does well. Um, and just down here is you can, like if you click on the CC door link, this is what we'll come up with. Um, and you'll, you can just get a lot more information. There's, um, you can look at uh, up here, let's see. A fellowship program. I think I have on the next slide, maybe that. Yeah, so here's this fellowship program. And if you read on this, you can see that you get two years of post-residency or post-doctoral uh, research, edu education, clinical opportunities. Um, and you can, you can read the details down here, but there are lots of opportunities for fellowships at the VA. So I just want to point that out. I think it I, I think sometimes people feel the information is hard to find. And if you just do a little digging um, on these websites, they have been recently, all the research websites at the VA have been sort of uh, revamped in the last two years. And I think they're quite good now in terms of finding the information you need. So um, if you're interested in, I, I kind of thought maybe this audience might be a link more uh, to the Center for Care Delivery and Outcomes Research. That's a very strong program at the VA. Um, excellent mentorship in that program. Um, this is just one, but I, I know this program well. They do they do a fantastic job with mentoring. And and uh, if if you're at all interested in this kind of work, uh, you can see it's you know public health, social sciences, stats, bioscience. Um, if you're interested in that kind of work, outcomes research kind of work, this is a fantastic fantastic center. Um, so, and then there are other centers, but I won't go through those. I did just take a, just to, to talk a little bit now about career development projects that I do know a little more about. I just wanted to, this is just a beginning of a list of all the different projects that are going on with career development awardees. And you can, these are, I think these are all current, uh, but just, you know, 
strategies to reduce unnecessary non-invasive imaging. You can see these sort of real diversity, increasing mental health services used, used through enabling resources and family support. So these, these career development projects are all mentored awards. And so um, if, if some of you are interested in being mentored, I mean, I just, just to give you an idea of the kinds of projects that are going on, um, they're quite diverse and you can see there's a lot of them. This is just the beginning of the list, not, not uh, uh, comprehensive. Um, let's see, I think I put this on here. Uh, this just kind of repeats actually what I had on the other slide, but you can see that there's a, again, these four major centers, again, there are other, there's just basic research as well though. And that's what I have mentored in a lot. Um, so that research is its own sort of center in a way, but then there are these other um, centers at the VA. I did want just, just to highlight this um, million veteran program down here. So this is some of the resources um, that are you can access. Um, you have an evidence synthesis program center. Um, I don't know a lot about these programs and the million veteran program is very interesting um, in terms of your research. I think, yeah, this is the next slide. Um, talking about that program. And that's another one to look up if you're interested because it's a huge database. It's It was launched in 2011. And right now it looks like over 900,000 veteran partners have joined. Um, and it, it has to do with genetics and health. And so um, if you're interested in doing a study where you wanna look at some, you know, a SNP or some, some genetic association study, um, this is a possibility. So, Please, if you're interested in that, um, look that up. Um, again, it's called the Million Veteran Program. And it's a good way, I think, if you can get access um, to start doing, asking some questions um, about the veteran population and research. And I think they are really looking to get more people involved in this program. We've got a lot of, they've asked, asked me to be involved and I haven't done it yet. So I don't, I can't tell you a lot of detail, but I know they're really encouraging people to take advantage of this database. So finally, um, this is my last slide and, and I just really do wanna take your questions if you have any. Um, I mentioned I'm sort of more familiar with the Career Development Awards. Um, these awards are available from all branches of research. Um, so the VA right now has sort of four research arms. I'm being a little tentative in talking about this because they are undergoing a major reorganization and these arms will change. So I didn't put that on the slide here, but you can apply for a clinical, um, it's a CSRD, the clinical arm of it. So those of you familiar with the NIH know that you have all these different arms um, and, and the VA does as well, but it's four major funding agencies. You can get funding from basic science research, uh, rehab and development research, and then clinical research um, and outcomes research. So it's available, these awards are available from all branches of research. The level of support varies within each branch, but the, the um, and I've mentored several PhD uh, candidates using this. You can get support for two years, that's called a CDA level one. Um, and that sort of, that requires absolutely no preliminary data. You need to have a lab. Um, you need to find a partner at the VA, uh, somebody that is willing to mentor you and, and help you, you know, write the proposal. Uh, but the first proposal is it, it's support for your salary for two years. 
Um, there is some research support. It's more limited than a standard grant. So you need to be within another with a, a collaborator. Um, but you can, and after that, you can apply for the next level, level two, which is five years of support for your salary plus research monies. Again, more limited than a standard grant. But if you're just starting out, the first two years is fantastic for developing preliminary data for a project you're interested in. Uh, and then finding a collaborator that wants to work with you and mentor you in that area. So it, it's fantastic because it's essentially seven years of support to get you off the ground. It's similar to the NIHK awards, uh, but these are the VA Career Development Awards. Um, and But I understand that in some of the programs, like in psychology, programs that I'm a little less familiar with, that in fact, they give you seven years on the second level. So it can be up to nine years um, through this, this mechanism. The trick, of course, is finding a mentor with similar interests and resources available to your project. Um, if you can find a mentor that, you know, you can work on looking at the Million Veteran, you know, um, database, you don't need a lot other than some skills with, you know, gene finding and that kind of thing. So, um, and I've had, I've mentored several successful people with a career development award. It, it really is nice. Um, uh, but, but yeah, the trick again is finding a mentor. So I think that that making connections is important if you're interested. Um, I think a lot of people just don't know about this at the VA. So if you have questions, let me know. Um, I, I'm pretty much done there. I'll stop the share. Let me add, uh, besides the million veteran, I, I think the key to the million veteran uh, is the connection they have genetic data, but the VA has um, a repository of uh, the clinical data. So we've had the longest standing electronic medical record in the country, and um, it's organized in a way to make research uh, relatively easy compared to um, it kind of EPIC was not designed uh, that way. And so you have to start work around things. So if you're interested in big data or in a modestly common problem that um, no one institution is going to have enough cases or... Uh, I, you know, the COVID research has been just amazing in the VA because we have such a large population. Um, so that's a an opportunity and there's a, a system to to gain access to that and pull records. And that's at, at the simplest level, if you're looking for subjects for a research trial, and that's what I'm working with Dr. Gaugler, he's got a question about people with dementia and brain injury the VA, the university doesn't have people with that combination of, uh, and so we're Mayo and, and the VA are supplying, but, you know, we have, I think 20,000 people who met that criteria when we did the search. So to find people to enroll in a trial, it's much easier um, if you have access to those kind of data. So if you're doing something outside the VA, but want to tap into and recruit veterans, then you need a partner in the VA uh, to work with you, but it's it, the Grec is kind of one place to come to do that. Great, thank you so much. This was a really helpful overview. Um, I'll open up, open it up to the audience. Does anyone have any questions? Feel free to unmute or put a question in the chat. We have a few minutes. Last one. 
if that's okay. Um, so thinking about um, research opportunities in the VA, especially around you know care delivery, do you guys typically prefer that people are looking at that in the context of VA care delivery, which we know is very different from other healthcare systems? I guess the, the question is, do VA researchers look at healthcare delivery broadly um, or is it always specific? So I, I, um, I, one example of a variety of research that we've, those of us in the GREC have worked on is systematic reviews. Uh, and the questions sometimes come and the projects are funded by the VA because of a question about how should we run the VA um, or do things in VA, but the literature is more broad. So a study that we recently uh, had accepted for a publication was how should we staff nursing homes? And there's almost no literature in the v, from the VA. So we looked at the, the rest of the healthcare systems in the country and the publications on, on outcomes, whether you had more or fewer staff. Um, so that's an example. And, and so uh, VA researchers uh, do research about diseases and, and issues beyond kind of how we deliver that care. In the VA, but and and you know, there's a lot of basic science, even lab uh, animal research going on uh, within the VA. So it's is very very broad. Excellent, thank you. I appreciate it. It was a great talk. Thank you. So um, I'll just comment. Somebody um, asked if where the dementia where where that would be um, in terms of the research branch. Um, that would be all branches. So the branches of research. And this is a little different than NIH. Um, the branches of research at the VA are, they're sort of bigger pots. All the basic science goes to one area. I mean, they have different study sections, of course. So a basic science pro project on dementia would go to the basic science. It's called BLRD, Basic Laboratory Research and Development, whereas the clinical would go to CSRD, Clinical Science uh, and Development. So it just depends. It, it's a little more like what approach are you taking versus the topic, and then once whatever your topic is, they uh, for the for the review they farm it out to the appropriate study section that has that expertise. So I just wanted to answer that question. So and somebody asked a question about loneliness and um, I, the isolation loneliness is uh, is a an issue that's recognized in the VA, um, and we have a whole health uh, model. Uh, that specifically looks at things beyond the biological health, and uh, I, I, and there's kind of standard screening for depression. I told about these story uh, telling efforts, so a variety of ways. But I, I can't think off the top of my head of a something that coded in the chart for loneliness. But there would be markers of living alone um, as a potential isolation, um, and. I, I know that um, there's a growing research around loneliness as a health risk factor, like hypertension and diabetes, uh, in terms of bad outcomes. And I, I'm sure there are people doing research on that in the VA. Um, I just haven't come across anything recently. So, um, but in in general, if if you have questions, interests in in doing something at the VA, I would say uh, contact uh, Dr. Kotz or myself um, as as faculty that are at both institutions and can link you up with other people. Um, and I think that our, our, our opportunity to work with your group um, and build the workforce is really important. And the other resource is um, the GWEP 
and you know, uh, uh, Rajan and I are both faculty there. But I think that's the other workforce development. If you're thinking about how do you how do you uh, go from whatever you're doing now into a career in aging, um, the faculty in that group are also a resource. Great, thank you so much, Dr. Ratner and Dr. Kotz. Um, I just wanted to give a plug too for our next Lunch and Learn lecture that will be on December 9th um, at the same time. And our next lecture will be on age-friendly communities. And it will actually be a hybrid session. So we'll have a limited capacity in person um, on the University of Minnesota campus. This podcast is brought to you by ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. Follow Voices of Aging and ASIC on social media for more information about the episodes and guests on the podcast and to learn more about us as a student group. See you next time.